1: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Johanna, Dundalk and Cavan. Order your new 221 Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate AP or finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie
2: You're very welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. My first guest today won many a battle on the field of play. But in late October 2020, he faced his greatest challenge of all. You see, GAA legend Graham Geraghty suffered a brain hemorrhage, which left him fighting for his life. But he's made of stern stuff, as we know, and just over a year on, I'm delighted to welcome him back to Late Lunch. Graham, hello hello again.
3: Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Can I take you back to that day? What was it, the 27th of October, a Tuesday? You you went to work as normal. What do you remember of the day? Were you, were you all right going to work, getting up that morning?
3: Yeah, it was 100%. and I recall everything that happened that day. It was, I was up and down uh, from Kilkenny a couple of times that day in the car, working, and... Uh, it was a normal, normal day as usual, and, and uh, that evening we're getting ready to, suppose, go to bed and, and, and spend the night there. And um, I was just chatting to my colleague Ian Daly, and uh, I just got a horrific pain in the front of my forehead, and it just kind of pierced through my head into the back of my neck, and I knew there was like it was a pain, pain, knew there was something up. So, you know, quick thinking by him, he got me downstairs and. I suppose put me on the couch and, and rang an ambulance straight away. Um, I think he initially thought he was having a stroke or something, but uh, you know, I suppose I got into Navin quick enough, and were able to diagnose fairly quickly what was what was up.
2: Yeah, you had an aneurysm, and uh, they, as you said, Navin, were played a crucial part. And then you, you you were quickly made your way to Beaumont Hospital. But there's no doubt reflecting now, the speed of action was crucial, Graham.
3: Oh, definitely, yeah. And I suppose like we've, you know, we've, we've, um, it off enough, um, you know, the quicker we get things like this or strokes or whatever it is, the quicker the better. And, you know, I was into Navin within, I suppose, half an hour of getting the, the first pain. And, um, you know, thankfully, you know, they knew what they were doing. They diagnosed it quickly and got me to Bowman as quick as they could. And, uh, you know, thankful for that, really.
2: Mm. Did you know much about it after that or were you uh, in a different place really did you know what was going to happen or what faced you or was that just not not on the table at all were you conscious at all
3: uh, I was conscious all the time yeah, yeah. Um, um, I remember going on the, on the trip up to Bowman in the ambulance um, I thought I'd never get there actually but, you know because I was in a lot of pain at the time mm. uh, and then I was getting settled into, into Bowman and so suppose it was the height the COVID that time and, you know, getting COVID tests, that's the last thing you wanted, someone proud you, you, know. So it was, um, it was it was a rough couple of days. I think, I, you know, I was just hoping and waiting to, to get the operation over me so I could get settled. But um, I had the operation on the Thursday and I remember going down and having to sign consent forms and I said, hey, I don't care. Just, just put me out, you know. I just wanted to go to sleep, really, and... <laughs> you know, alleviate the pain somewhere. some way. But, um But, I woke up then, I think, it was seven or eight hours later in the recovery room and, and back up to the ward. But, I thought that was really the end of my troubles kind of from there, you know, that I had the operation over and that was the end of it. it so, was, was the next five or six days now were really bad as well, you know, because, where the bleed was they couldn't drain the blood away so they had to let it dissolve back into the body itself and the pressure kind of was causing a lot of pain and and, and it was a rough few days but you know they're fantastic staff up there and looked after me really well so Mm. you know I've probably one of the lucky ones that's got the to walk out of it you know
2: yes yes there are many don't and, and I don't have to remind yeah. you of that you, you you know the the situation um, so really like the operation you were out of it for the duration. it was a seven hour operation a long operation they had a lot to do and as you said the days following it were, were very tough um, did you think about you know your mortality like th- things like this only you know come to us when you have faced and others a situation like this Did you did you ever fear that you mightn't you know turn the corner
3: Oh, I definitely did. I think there was a couple of nights I was I was lying in the bed just looking at the ceiling and wondering when it was going to end and it was just one particular night I I was just in a bad place. It just never I been up now, just just let me go and take me or whatever, but that was it. And uh all of a sudden then this priest appeared around the corner and uh I don't know whether it was faith or, or divine inspiration or whatever, but uh I had a chat with him probably for ten or fifteen minutes and kind of you know I suppose showed me what well, I had to live for that, with my family and friends and the kids and all that kind of stuff. So, kind of got me through the night, and the next day was better, and the next day after that, it was better. So, you know, it, it's, I suppose when things are at its worst, we kind of reflect and, and see what's going on in our own lives and in our family and, and friends. And I suppose that's what's really important more than anything else
2: it certainly is Graham. it certainly is are you a religious type of man you know you mentioned the priest when when he arrived yeah sorry are yeah. you a religious type of person you know well, of, of your faith I,
3: I, w- I, I wouldn't say I was religious no but definitely would would be more religious there than I was alright <laughs> because the amount of the soul's yeah. best wishes and prayers and everything that was you know sent sent to me and, and, and prayed for me you know I think definitely had some kind of effect on me because uh with the bleed I had and the operation I went through I was you know, I came out basically with nothing wrong with me. Um mm. which you know, I was speaking to Jerry McIntyre afterwards and he says usually with stage four bleed like that you would have paralysis or a loss of speech or you know, there'd be some some sort of side effects but uh, really the only side effect I had was fatigue the whole time and you know, that's getting better and better every every month I go on. But, uh, you know, it's the main America, really, that I walked out of the hospital.
2: Mm. <laughs> and you had so many well-wishers. I remember at the time so many asking after yeah. you, and wishing you good. And and you realised that as well yourself, didn't you, when you uh, switched the old mobile back on?
3: I did, yeah. And I suppose, like, Amanda had was, obviously, she wasn't led into the hospital, but she was bringing up... Um, I was getting cards to the household, the and you know when I was able to read through them, it was you know it was it was nice to see the I so saw the the best wishes and and nice comments, you know. So um, yeah, it 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 keeps you going really, and puts everything in perspective. You know?
2: So you said uh, fatigue is is an aspect of your life now, but it's getting better all the time. Had you any rehab to do at all, Graham?
3: Uh not really, no. Um, I suppose trying to do a bit of exercise I suppose it's, it's harder to do exercise there than I was when I was playing but um, it's yeah no I've, i I no rehab as such um, and the way things were at the time you know I was supposed to go for a check-up back at the moment at Christmas and that didn't take place because of COVID it was just done over the phone and I had a scan then of, of it was just over two months ago so um still waiting for the results of that by the way but uh yeah i know it's, like the hospital's are on the pressure but uh was sure that in tears. they'd be contacted but um, yeah yeah no it, it's it the it, pig is part of of the recovery as well and one mm. of the side effects but uh you know thankfully it's it's getting better
2: and better. And no reasoning for this, because you're a young man, you're a fit fella, you always have been, you're active in your life. These are one of, this is one of these things that can happen to anybody at any stage. Is that you know, did you ask these questions I'm sure afterwards why? Yeah, yeah, and I
3: suppose that was something that they couldn't answer. Um you know, it it's, it can be hereditary as well. Uh so I think that was kind of one of the the things I looked up then when they came out. I my mother then reminded me that my granny of aneurysm as well but she had it in her stomach so it probably it probably maybe stems from that. But I, w- like I would have had no um symptoms or, you know, nothing to to point out that there was something seriously wrong. Now, I haven't suffered from migraine for years and years, but uh since the operation I haven't had one so touch wood, but uh maybe that was you know mm. something that uh was lingering there or or, or triggering this? But um, yeah, you don't know the bang I got over the years. You don't know that that was cutting really put, it, put a finger on it or or you know say exactly why it happened. But uh, yeah, you know it's just one of these things that they mm. said as you said it can happen to anybody. Mm. Um, you know it has happened to several people since since I had mine and they weren't so lucky. You know uh, yeah, but. Yeah, we'll just I suppose keep looking forward and be thankful for what we have now at
2: this stage. Sure thing for Amanda and the children as well. What a gunk they got at the time and all they had to go through because with COVID as well the restrictions on the hospital. You're in there; it's not straightforward. You have a wee fella. What age is he? Or was he four then? You have a funny story about him. Did he ring up or talk to you? Or there's a story about this, isn't there?
3: Yeah, he was. Well, he was just. He was five at the time, five and a half. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, he couldn't understand why I wasn't coming home. And I, I, I told him I was coming home in a couple of days. And uh, he says, the doctor there. And I said, oh, put me on to the doctor. I want to talk to him. So, you know, so he was he was going to give him a bit of his mind. But, uh, yeah, I suppose, you know, I'm lucky enough that he's young enough that he doesn't really understand what was going on. Um, I think for the older ones, you know, they're twenty three. 20 and 17 now, so they obviously, you know, knew what was going on and were worried, so, yeah, yeah. you know, it was, but I think, you know, I was thankful to walk out of the hospital, and that's kind of really when it hit me, what had happened, that, you know, you're,
2: yeah. you
3: get, I get into the car and I just, you know, started crying, to, and Amanda couldn't understand, you know, what was wrong, but I think it was a relief of just finally getting out of the hospital, and been in one piece and alive
2: or stuff. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I was just going to say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with the young Gerty and him wanting to talk to the consultant. I have to say, <laughs> but ah, uh, uh, we have many good wishes to us coming uh, for our first guest on the show today, Graham Gerty. Graham, you're very popular out there. You have a big fan club. Sure, you've always known that, haven't you? Uh, it's great to hear, Jerry. Gerry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, Brendan Hughes, just a few of them. Brendan Hughes has been on to say uh, he's delighted to hear you, Hail and hearty, and well done to you. Uh, we have a message from a Deirdre saying there, thank God for Navin Hospital that day. They played a big part in Graham's uh, recovery and that is a very good point to make. Another one there from Sandra saying, in 2017, when I was 47, the same thing happened to me. I'm four years in and I thank God every day that I got to survive. I want to wish Graham all the best. He's so inspiring, and so on and so on. They go. There's a big love out there for you. Ah, that's
3: nice to hear, Jerry. You know, and I suppose you know a lot of people who have went through the same thing have, have been in touch with me as well. Just to, uh, I suppose, advise me what was going to happen and and you know steps to take. I suppose going forward as well, which is really helpful too.
2: Mm, Caroline Burke from Beliver, you know Caroline well, I'm Caroline, sure, yeah. uh, is on here to us as well, all in Beliver. Uh, great to hear you on LMFM this afternoon and wishing you well. And they're flying in there 086 1800 658. I'll just remind you of the number again WhatsApp or text. Keep them coming to us and we'll read them through the afternoon for sure. You mentioned, you know, life, your family, your children, put everything in perspective. It's a point that people make all the time. We get on with the busyness of life. I do, you do, Graham. everybody does. Something like this really does stop you in your tracks, doesn't it?
3: I think it does because we take life for granted really and think we're invincible. I suppose definitely I thought I was, you know, I didn't expect something that this was going to happen or anything really. I know. And I suppose men in general don't really, you know, put everything on the long finger and... and don't go for regular checkups. i not saying that they would have picked this up, but uh, it's something that I suppose needs to be highlighted as well that we need to look mm. after ourselves a bit better. Mm. But it's definitely, you know, it came out of the blue, and, and I know it shocked a lot of my friends that, you know, geez, if this can happen to, to Graham, uh, you know, we better all, you know, watch out and look after ourselves. And I suppose if if any good thing came out of it, 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 it it's that like this, people. Yeah, looking at them, that would
2: be better. Yes, Ke- Kevin's Kevin's put an interesting one in to me there, and he again, wishing you well uh, and delighted to hear you. Just wondering, you know, with all the rough and tumble in your in your GA career when you took knocks for sure, uh, you yeah. know, w- would you ever consider anything like that might have contributed?
3: Yeah, and that's one thing that I had pointed out to the doctors kind of initially, and they said, you know, they couldn't put a finger on it, but... I don't know, probably not. I think those those lads have probably got more knocks than me over the years and are okay, you know, so it's, it's as I said before, it can be a registry as well, and, and that's probably, you know, the big thing here, but, uh, you know, I can't rule it out either, and they couldn't rule it out, so possibly could could have stemmed from that as well, but uh, that's the thing, we don't really know with,
2: with mm-hmm. aneurysm. Yes, uh, Your loud fans are on as well. Liam, O'Ne- Liam O'Neill leading the charge there today from the uh, uh, the wee county. Great to hear, Graham. On with you today, uh, Jerry. Wish him all the very best. He's a fantastic guy. Thanks indeed for that, Liam. <laughs> They're just hopping along here as I speak. The other thing is, Graeme, you mentioned your granny. Uh, you know, had had the same condition. Can yeah. you be tested for this, Graeme, I'm thinking of your children of uh, that.
3: Yeah, yeah. You can, and they yeah. will have to be tested as well. Um, I don't know when that will take place, maybe when they're in their mid-twenties. I'm not sure if, uh, what the format for that is, but um, they will have to, because of what happened to me, they will be tested as well, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's good to so hear. So That's a good thing, you know. Yeah, it is a good thing and a very important uh, awareness to create as well for anybody who might be concerned. So you get back on your feet, the energy thing, bit by bit you're getting stronger. You keep a good eye on the old footy.
3: Ah, oh, we do. Yes, we have to keep ourselves occupied.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, but isn't it great that you had the interest? You know what I mean. Have you been to a game? Have you been out and about since, or are you uh, doing that? Yeah,
3: yeah. I, haven't, I haven't been at, You know, too many games, but I've been a few over the summer, Um Yeah, so we'll be we'll be interested now, looking at the next couple of weeks. I think the Glen Emmons or. or are playing since dances in the junior championship so we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on that you know, Yeah
2: that one. Yeah that's right it's allowed me clash in in the Leinster junior there for sure so that that is one Um, uh, Again this year when you look at the just before you go because you're a man who's played at the highest level and won the ultimate in All-Ireland titles Tyrone coming from uh, you know uh, right of centre this year to win the All-Ireland did that surprise you? It did a
3: bit now i I didn't see it happening there, especially after the you know huge defeat to Kerry in the league. I think was twenty-five points in that, and I didn't really see them uh, challenging in Ulster at all. And they just seemed to um, find a second gear after the league finished, and and you know really finished the, the year on a high. And and you know they were probably the better team in the final, but they still got hard to put Mayo away and. I think, like me, are probably never going to win at this. They had plenty of chances, but just didn't take them. But, uh, you know, you have to hand it to, to uh, you know, Fergal Ogun and Brian Dewar. You know, the second year in charge, they're doing really well. And and, and to win in Ireland, it's fantastic. And especially with the tradition that's, that's in own and, yeah. and with Mickey Hart then as well. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was a tough, I suppose mantle to take over but uh, they've done really well
2: they really did they really did oh we won't go anywhere with Mayor we leave that to Providence and God knows yeah. maybe someday they will win it anyway you've won a famous victory probably the most famous victory of your life, life Graeme Geraghty and I'm thrilled I've had the opportunity to say hello to you today on the show and I just see again I say it again the respect and love that's out there for you and Graeme continued success in your recovery and best wishes to Amanda your children and all the family
3: thanks Sherry. Pleasure to be with you.
2: Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Take That's uh, the Bye-bye. wonderful Graham Geraghty there and I'm really thrilled to have a chat with him on the show this afternoon. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. But I never knew Graham Geraghty was so popular. He really is popular. Honest to God, some of you are mess. It's just a selection of them I've picked out here. Great listening to Graham. You're a warrior on and off the field. Keep going, man. That comes in from the line of family. Best wishes, Graham. One hell of a lad, Martin and Lily Mangan in Dunboyne have been in touch. Louis's been on to us. He's listening in Canada this afternoon and he sends Graham all his good wishes and so on and so on they go. Dignity for Patience has a new CEO. She's in the hot seat about five weeks now. She's only finding our feet, but she's with me today on Late Lunch. Adrienne Riley, welcome back to the show.
4: Thank you very much, Gerry. It's nice to be on the late lunch again and I really appreciate the invite
2: to talk about my new role as CEO (laughs) and returning to Drogheda. Yes, you are, because we spoke and you've been all over the world in between and building up a wonderful CV of experience. Did you just go for this? Was it advertised? Did you just say, hey, I'm ready now to have a go at something like this? Well, it
4: was advertised and um, when I saw it, I thought... You know, when I come back home was a time, and to be honest with you, you know, I've never really left Drogheda in my heart or soul and all my friends and people, but I also wanted to come back and do the job because it seemed like I was, you know, rounding off a circle. I started working in human rights as one of the first graduates. I was in the first year of the Human Rights Law Masters in Galway, Mm. in the Irish Centre for Human Rights, and at that time, 20 years ago I graduated, there was very few human rights legal organisations working solely on the issues, apart from really in Northern Ireland, Um, but now human rights is at the heart of everything we do in relation to dignity and um, protection and prevention of abuse with victims and survivors. And when I saw the job, I thought, you know what, I want to go back and I want to work with the people of this area. Um, and bring all my national and international expertise home and hopefully work with victims and survivors to ultimately fulfil what they want in relation to this organisation which is a public inquiry into the sexual abuse that happened to them during a period of over 31 years and longer in relation to healthcare settings. So that's why I wanted to come
2: back. Mm, Good on you. And I'll tell you, they've got a good one, because when I look through your CV and you look at all the experience you have in uh, Vietnam, working with victims and survivors of trafficking and the human rights work with the UN, as you mentioned, Northern Ireland, the Pat Finucane Centre, working across various issues uh, there as well. So you bring a lot of experience with you. It's probably slightly different, a different angle to the work. Is that fair to say? Um,
4: yes and no. It is a different angle to the work in the sense that it's very uh, it's focused on a particular yes. issue of human rights. Yes. So it's po- it focused on sexual abuse in healthcare settings. Mm. So that makes it different in the sense of, you know, the narrowness of it and the focus of yeah. it. But the human rights element remains the same. Yeah. We have human rights laws. We have a series of national and international protections that should apply. And Thankfully, in the last 20 years, the language of rights has broadened, mainly due to the human rights advocacy of uh, people in, around institutional abuse inquiries, mother and baby homes, um, the Magdalen laundries. And so all of those types of inquiries have expanded out what we understand. And it's also similar because these are legacy issues in one sense, in that they happened oh, from a period of 1964 to 1995 in relation to our main client cohort so we've over 300 victims and survivors who were abused over that time period in hospitals in Ireland for example but mainly around this area and mainly the organisation, as you probably know, was set up focused on the acts of one doctor yes. who is now currently serving a prison sentence. Yes. But there are other victims and survivors in relation to other doctors and other medical settings. So while it's legacy in that it happened in the past, it's not legacy for victims and survivors, because it's still their real lived experience. And the main call, again, would be for a public inquiry, because things that happen in the past, you're often not able to get the evidentiary Requirements, which is beyond reasonable doubt, to go to put a case forward that can stand up in court. Mm. Although in some cases there have been those, so you have different prongs, like maybe a criminal action where there are the, evide- the evidence, the is there, but then civil actions and then other types of support. So I've done that, like with the Paphianuca Center in terms of legacy and troubles cases, and with victims and survivors of trafficking. So it's kind of the same imprint, but different because of the focus.
2: Yes. Now, the case you refer to is a major case, a national case, and it's ongoing as we speak. As you sit in the role today, only a number of weeks in, are all the skeletons out of the cupboard in in, in this country? Could there be another similar case? And I take it there's obviously potential because Dignity for Patients works right across the board, as you say. Patients in medical or therapeutic settings. This is uh, a moving feast. There there will be more. Is it inevitable?
4: So there's a number of things there. Yes, I think it is inevitable because even though I've only started in this role five weeks ago, we have had a number of new clients to the service and I have been made aware of a number of other people who have been abused in the healthcare setting. So that's only five weeks. So say that's one a week. Mm. So we we have... absolute evidence that this service is essential because we are the only organization in Ireland that provides a dedicated service to victims of sexual abuse in healthcare settings and I would like to flag post or signpost you to a recent article on October 30th which The headlines were vulnerable adults in care may have faced abuse. But this was from the National Safeguarding Office, which said in the last year, 10,216 cases of concern were reported to the HSE. But even though that has happened, there is no actual statutory basis for the National, National Safeguarding Office or their officers. They've no statutory powers or legislative powers to do their job. So we, we have this big gap still, believe it or not, mm. despite all of this. And this is, again, why our victims and survivors say we want a public inquiry. We had a review. We had a, the Drogheda review by Judge Smith, which was closed. The report was never issued. It was sealed in 2010. And we know from the mother and baby homes there's huge issues about that. And they want public inquiries because they want to focus on what happened, how it happened, it should not happen again, and then develop legislation so that some organisations like a National Safeguarding Office will be able to do their job. So we need to exist. If we don't exist, where do victims and survivors go?
2: Yeah, really good point, Anna. You wonder what's the point of the organisation you just mentioned if they don't have teeth or have any uh, statutory basis. Look, when you think of somebody, and uh, there may be people listening to us today who have an experience that they've kept to themselves for a long time and are unable to talk about or bring out or come forward with. What do you say to somebody like that?
4: I would say, please do talk to somebody. Please do seek some form of help or assistance and come and speak to us, even if that's your first point of call, just to speak to us. Or ask somebody to speak to us on your behalf because we have a support an information and an advocacy role. And I'll just briefly explain mm. what that means. Our support means that we have a helpline. We have a text message uh, process. We, you can contact us by email or we can arrange one-to-one face-to-face meetings. Um, and I really, really want to get this message across. This is a 100% confidential organisation. Nothing goes outside the room. We have highly secure, you know, um, uh, presses or cupboards and stuff that are double locked. We have security on all our internet systems. And we have highly trained staff that are trauma-informed in relation to dealing with anything that anybody may come with. And then we have an information service where we give you and your families or whoever's supporting you, information on the different routes to get redress or help. So going to the guards and giving statements, giving a statement to the medical council, reporting to hospitals. And we have an advocacy role where we advocate for free counselling on your behalf. We work alongside with you and your legal teams. We liaise with the guards and work with the guards with you or on your behalf. We help get you access to medical records that might be used as evidence in reporting what you say has happened to you. And we help a Freedom of Information requests to get your data and information that you may, may need for any case. And most importantly, and recently, through funding from the Department of Justice, um, we have a court accompaniment service. So if you do end up taking a civil or criminal action, we will be there right alongside you throughout that whole process, which can be absolutely daunting for victims and survivors.
2: My word, that is all encompassing and reassuring. And I had it on my notes here, that word confidentiality, because it is a crucial aspect, I know, of what Mm. you do. From your experience, when somebody does come for the first time and talks to you and opens up, does it leave them in, in a more vulnerable position that they need greater support when they decide to speak?
4: It varies from person to person, but that is definitely one thing that does happen. You know, trauma is triggered at different times for people. Some people are resolute right up until the end. I have seen this work I've done in Northern Ireland, and then complete need the most help at the end of a process, and other people need it at the beginning, and other people in the middle. It just it is a very you know wide expanse um, the impact of trauma.
2: You know, you impressed me greatly when I met you uh, some time back here in studio, and uh, you've reinforced that again today. I say it again: dignity for patients have a new wonderful CEO. What's your helpline number, please?
4: So, our helpline number is oh eight six or yeah oh eight six one six five four one 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 okay great and we you can get all our information on our website dignity the number four patients and we are in grangerath in 29 Rath park heights on the first floor suite mm. you can also email us and i just want to say to anybody that's listening that may have been affected by what we have discussed or need any assistance even outside our hours, which are 10 to 4 p.m. Monday to Thursday, there's a 24-hour helpline, and that's one eight hundred seven seven eight 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 eight. 778 888 But please do get in touch if you feel you need to. We are here, and we're dedicated 100% to the people we work with, because actually, that's why we do what we do. It's for them.
2: and. Finally, just to emphasize again, you're for everybody it's right across the country nationally no matter where you hear this today, people listening online on yeah. the podcast later on and secondly to say it's just not about in a hospital uh, situation or a formal you know uh, gathering of different uh, medical people together that it can be an individual practice an individual issue.
4: Yes, absolutely in therapeutic settings or in hospitals with your do- you know in a doctor's setting or any other health setting where you will be getting treatment yes. or seeking advice or help in relation to your health. So, healthcare settings.
2: Adrienne, good luck to you. Wish you well, and thank you so much for joining us on the show again today. Oh,
4: Jerry, thank you so much, and you know what? It's just wonderful to be home as well <laughs> and doing the work that I do. You what? know, it's fantastic. So, thank you so much.
2: Not at all. Welcome home, Adrienne Riley. Thanks for joining thank me you. again. Bye, bye. Bye. Aha. 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 Yes, 1985, Hunting High and Low, the album that one is taken from They Were My Artists of the Week, one week during the year. They were indeed. That one made number two in the UK. It just fell short of the number one slot, but it did make number one in the USA, number two in Ireland as well. So on this neck of the woods, two, but number one in the United States. Just reminding you, there's a great evening of entertainment coming up next Wednesday night at the TLT in Drogheda with a retirement gala concert honouring Tommy Leddy the great Tommy Leddy he's going to be a guest of ours on the show next week we're going to catch up with the great man the show is hosted by Ronan Collins and features Nathan Carter Sharon Shannon the Conqueror Show Band and so many more for more information and if you'd like to go along and enjoy a great night with Tommy check it out the TLT.ie that's the TLT theatre give them a shout there tickets available meanwhile at the venue in Ratoth the Bob Dylan Roadshow a new tribute band featuring all of Dylan's Greatest Music takes to the stage on Thursday the 25th of November again further information can be obtained from the venue rithoth.ie Louise I meant to ask you this sleep how long do you sleep for at night time? <laughs>
5: Depends on which child is beside me <laughs>
2: <laughs> Go out of that you're joking me
5: uh, No I could get kicked any time during the night and then another little soul will pop in and I'd be pushed out of the bed completely.
2: So your night's rest is broken, is it? Yeah. Most nights. Every night. Every night. Mm-hmm. Every night. How many hours sleep do you need to function?
5: About thirty six. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The reason, well, no, well, that's part of the reason I ask you. You're going to enjoy Burke's banter later on in the show today, I promise you, because I think it sums you up. But it's not just sleep related. It's not directly that. No, I was just thinking six hours now I can do, I get six hours does me six hours sleep and I will only yeah Oopsie. generally I, I, I get out now in six hours I've just been watching the last while and that and it is a bit of a change because I go to bed a little earlier another way I told you was a night owl Normally, you're I'm up, actually yeah. Yeah, I'm actually going I'm to bed early. now around the 11 o'clock I don't hit the midnight mark only a nod night now <gasps> and I'd sleep say if I went at 11 I'll fall asleep straight away but I'll waken at 5 Will you? Yes, six hours, six hours, bang. Or if I went at 12, it'd be six o'clock. I'll wake in at five and then I'll dander around a bit, you know, sort of dozing. But I, I am really awake from that that time. But six hours, I think I... <laughs>
5: 11 you're... o'clock would be a night out for me. Would it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'd be like a Saturday night.
2: Ah, oh, poor Louise. Poor. Louise. But you see, you're going through a life stage that I've gone through and passed. You know what I mean? That's just the way it works at it's times. It's all
5: coming back. Karma.
2: Yeah, well, you see, you know, we all. I uh, used
5: to wake my mother up at three or four o'clock in the morning <laughs> and to answer the front door. Of
2: course, you did. Throw the poor woman, Patsy. Throw Patsy mad. So you did, and 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 now, did. <laughs> now, now you see, it's payback. It's payback. It's now. coming back. Threefold. It's karma. It's coming back to you now with the little ones. But there you go. It's just something I said I'd mentioned today. I wonder, you know, listeners uh, at to late lunch today, what do you get away with sleepwise? Would anyone get away with? five, six hours a night do you need a lot more do you need your eight hours shut eye or your ten just a little trivia on the show today some people say that
5: it works in cycles so if you need eight hours sleep and you have nine hours sleep your body it feels like you've only had one hour sleep because you're into your second cycle if you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> you, studied you studied lucy wolf too much you studied lucy wolf that too lady much. was my savior oh, she, yes she's great isn't she when it comes to sleep matters anyway i go to bed at 11 but i always make sure i'm up to listen to christy and seamus in the morning says a listener another one there depends what you're up to jerry the night before a holiday or a day's fishing she'd only sleep a couple of hours getting up for work well that'd be a seven hour kip says jamie thanks indeed keep them coming to us How do you? sleep how long do you sleep 086 1800 658 by whatsapp or text now my next guest on the show worked in a large semi-state organization at senior managerial level but she's moved and transformed martinstown lodge in county meath and in her own words she says i am now living my best life i want to know what it's all about i'm delighted to say hello to emma jane clark on late lunch hello emma jane Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm delighted to have you with me today. When somebody says, I'm now living my best life, I want a piece of it, please. So do my listeners today. Explain.
1: So, as you mentioned there, I was a senior leader in a, in a semi-state organisation and I am also a qualified coach, a professional coach and corporate wellbeing coach. And I managed multiple teams in my role and I loved helping people. It was just something... That really gave me joy in my life um, and working with people. So we bought Martinstown Lodge about three and a half years ago now, and it was a it was a riding school and we wanted to open it up to people to help them actually get out of their own way to be able to unleash and i suppose tap into their potential. Um, And that's how it came across the equine-guided leadership training. And also we do social farming, which is another important part for us.
2: Now, I'm intrigued by both of those latter uh, you mentioned there. Social farming, what is that?
1: Social farming, it's an organisation in Ireland where farmers basically work with a range of different agencies to bring people onto the farm to build their skills and confidence. And depending on what the needs of the person are, it can be people from perhaps disadvantaged communities, uh, people with a disability or older adults. So we're looking at hosting um, a range of young people on the farm to bring them out and to build their confidence and their confidence in areas that they want to work on. But through the medium of the outdoors and working on the farm. So that's one part of, of the area that we um have a huge passion in, and then the equine guided leadership is is the other part again, which allows us to to help people as well.
2: Isn't it funny that I grew up w- with that? You know, being an outdoors. Uh, type a little fella through my father and his associates and I worked on a farm myself and I just developed a great love for that and and being close to nature and animals sort of is something that always stays with you do you see a gap in life is that what it is is that that the point being that there is something in that that many people can't experience unfortunately
1: Absolutely. I mean, we feel very privileged to live where we are. And again, we want to share that. And there's multiple areas of, I suppose, benefits. There's the benefits proven scientifically of being in the outdoors. There's also the, um, with COVID, you know, and and the experience of people's social isolation. So it's a connectivity back in, because they use the term social farming. It's not about just going out and working. It's about integrating back into the community and learning how to connect back into the community. Um, and farming itself and working with the horses it's very non-judgmental um, it's very open and again people are, are welcomed here to learn and develop themselves in that way
2: You say and I'm quoting you again geez, I'm quoting you a lot on the show today oh. <laughs> Horses reflect how we show up in the world and help people overcome challenges or impediments that hold them back. Uh, like you give examples of issues like confidence and boundary setting, etc. Really, do do, the four, do our four-legged friends, the big ones, the horses, do that?
1: Uh, unbelievable. And again, working with the horses on the ground, it's walking with them through a series of exercises. So it's not horse riding. And I actually have people who who have very good experience and no experience of horses come work with me as a coach whether in workshops or one-to-ones. And really horses have been on the planet for 80 million years and they have developed really as highly effective teachers um, of authenticity and they're very compassionate. So they really tap into who you are. And my experience, um, and I'm constantly blown away about what happens when people work with the horses, they mirror people's um, communication styles. They mirror perhaps the blocks that are getting in people's way um, of developing to be their to, to fulfil their potential. So they absolutely do mirror how we communicate, and they provide immediate, honest, and most importantly, non-judgmental feedback. You can't argue with what's presented <laughs> yeah. to you.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm changing. Uh, We'll have to change the old acronym that uh, uh, dog is man's best friend. After late lunch today, it's a horse, folks. We're we're changing it. But, you know, they are majestic animals and they uh, have played such a part in human existence as well. It's amazing to hear this, that you have actually tapped into this and you see this working in a practical sense. Oh, absolutely. I'm a very practical,
1: pragmatic person and I'm very results focused. And that was one of my aims in setting up this this um, enterprise on Martins Town Lodge, that people would come with tangible and, I suppose, transformational outcomes from experiencing our work here. It is internationally um, proven to deliver, and I certainly have done kind of literature review of research internationally, but also have become an accredited um, equine guided leadership trainer as well. So it is actually used internationally quite a lot and there's a history of using horses in therapy but this is very much about coaching, about helping people get out of their own way to move forward.
2: And it's for anybody. You don't have to be in an organisation. It's for individuals. It's for people who may be struggling a little bit in life, yes?
1: Absolutely. A lot of my work at the moment is actually one-to-one coaching and um, particularly um, with women. Mm. And it's really helping women look at... um, getting, as I say, keep using that term, getting out of their own way, people who don't feel like they're good enough, people who doubt their ability. And this work really gives them an insight on how to reach their potential and better understand and see their strengths. And above all, it's fun, it's it's interactive, but it's also impactful. We also do empowerment workshops, particularly targeted women. And in addition to that, we do leadership and team development. Again, hugely impactful for teams and leaders, leaders to help them actually be better at what they do in the workplace you know when we do leadership training and this it's usually in a, in a training room mm. this is very much in the outdoors in a rural environment people are slightly out of their comfort zone but when we want to learn and develop we need to step out of that comfort zone in a safe way
2: what you're alluding to there of course is imposter syndrome do you believe women suffer more from from it than men
1: I believe that women do suffer from it. Whether they suffer more from it or not, I don't know. Women may be more open about Mm -hmm. it. Mm. Um, I did a lot of research again before we embarked on on the business here. And I would say 99% of the women that come across have had that feeling of self-doubt and that um, perhaps maybe they're not good enough. And um, how that can hold them back, research has proven, proven actually that women won't go for certain jobs if they can't take a very high percentage of the job description Requirements, And speaking as a, as a woman myself and um, having worked as a senior leader, I absolutely had the imposter syndrome. I did have this fear that people would find out that I wasn't good enough and that perhaps somebody would be better uh, at the job. So these things can get in your way, you know, and they're really only thoughts and thoughts are not a reality. So.
2: Mm, you see, you hadn't the hard neck. I worked with people during the, uh, during my various careers and most of the men, and they were imposters, I can tell you, but they had hard bloody necks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, you know, it depends what I suppose a hard neck is. For women, again, it's that they, they really believe they have to meet all the requirements of a job and, you know, men perhaps, feel maybe 40 to 50 percent if that of the job that they have to meet so <laughs> it is about working with women to help them actually really identify their strengths and help them to reach their potential
2: now you are a team at martin's because there is a man ken your partner and yes. you know he's interesting as well in that he has another career uh, you, you you mirror each other really and he's moved in a different direction too
1: Absolutely. Well, Ken obviously has his full time job, but he he has been an absolute rock and support to me to be able for me to get out of my own way to actually really leave a very big job to do this. And we both have we both share a love of the countryside of the horses, but we also are really passionate about helping people. So Ken actually studied as well, and he's a qualified therapy coach. So working with children with disabilities and helping them. I suppose develop their motor skills etc but on riding the horses here so that's a small part of what we do but Ken absolutely um, he is pursuing his career and he's supporting me to fulfill and and live my best life as well.
2: I know you've had tremendous support and the wonderful the Leos the Mead local enterprise office there I know you acknowledge this but you've been acknowledged back in return for what you've done and what you've set up there that must be pleasing.
1: It's you know it's when you open yourself up um, for support and that you are willing to take on a board advice. The local enterprise office have been amazing through funding for the website development, through the mentoring support, and what i found with working with my mentors, um, Joe and um, Catherine, that they've seen how willing I am to do and put in the work, and that they would actually go above and beyond, and we actually. From that, and we're only in business um, a couple of months, we've made national newspapers. But most importantly, my biggest pride at the moment is being a finalist in emerging business in in the county in the Mead Tourism Business Awards. That was, for me, just amazing for such an innovative and unique offering to be recognised as having that potential.
2: Now, we mentioned at the start you you had a senior position in the semi-state and you're well familiar with big organisations and teams and all that goes uh, with that. I often heard it said wouldn't it be a great job if it weren't for people. You've heard this, I suppose, yourself many times in the past. You know what I'm getting at. But just to come back to it before we finish, this is just not focused. It it will help if if you're looking for assistance within your career or advancement of that. You're there for that. But personally as well, back to this point, personal development, you marry both and more besides
1: absolutely um, I think any organisation I, I know you say it's a great job without people but any organisation is built on it on it yes people. and it is about empowering people to like emerging leaders and leaders themselves to actually empower them to be the best that they can be which then gives the return for the business so there is that financial gain from everyone working and um, to an optimum and feeling part of an organisation Um, We do team development, as you mentioned, and leadership development. And again, highly impactful. Um, The the reviews to date and the feedback has been highly impactful when we go back to the workplace. Because there's one thing about working with the horses in the arena, but really it all translates back into life and into how we are at work and how we can actually improve how we are to actually improve our returns.
2: How many horses have you? Um, we have four
1: that we use and um, we have nine on the farm but we have four that we use that have you know the the correct behavior um for this kind of work and um there are, each one of them is just such an amazing teacher in different ways it's just phenomenal what comes out with people depending on on what which horse they work with
2: well, they take care as well and they have to be uh, fed and looked after every day. By God, you're a, mi- a busy lady there at the lodge, I have to say. For people listening today, for our listeners on Late Lunch, Martinstown Lodge, what's the easiest way to get in touch?
1: Um, martinstownlodge.ie and info at ie and just reach out to me. Anyone's got any questions or want to find out more about what we do, we'd be delighted to speak to
2: them. You're really interesting. You've made the change. You're loving it. You're making a real difference. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much, Jerry. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care of yourself. That's Emma Jane Clark there from Martinstown Lodge. 200 years old. Lovely, lovely place. And they've made a great go of it there. We wish them well. Late lunch LMFM radios. Jerry, I can do it four hours. Shut eye, says Joey. Four hours. Good on you. That's short. I need the six myself. I was mentioning it there a moment ago. I wish I could sleep, Jerry. Two hours at any one time is all I can do. I'm wrecked. I ain't surprised. That comes in from a listener today. Here's another one, Polly. You're so lucky. Bed at ten, Jerry. Up at eight. Ten hours. Have to get it every night. Aren't you so lucky, Paula? Ten hours sleep? Oh, my God, I could only dream of it. Used to get it years ago when I was a teenager, but ever since then, it's gone off the wall completely. Now, my artists of the week are Simon and Garfunkel, and that bookends album I spoke about yesterday and the graduate soundtrack, they had five songs on that soundtrack, made Simon and Garfunkel the biggest music act in the world in the late 60s and early 70s. However, despite universal success, the pair drifted as Paul Simon worked on movie and musical scores while Art Garfunkel went off acting in movies. In late 1969, they toured America and released their final album called Bridge Over Troubled Water. That was in January 1970. And they went on to play their final concert in July of the same year at Forest Hill Stadium in New York, their hometown, and then they went their separate ways. Would you believe it? They barely spoke for a number of years. However, they did reunite from time to time for one-off events, especially in the latter part of the 70s, when their relationship once again mellowed. Back to that final album today for my song and what success it brought them. The album, the biggest selling of all time until surpassed by Michael Jackson's thriller with the lead single of the same name becoming Simon & Garfunkel's greatest song. Covered since by so many others like Elvis, Roy Orbison, Johnny Cash and Aretha Franklin to name drop but a few. Timeless, forever relevant, simply a classic. When you're weary Feeling small Yes, we all could do it a bridge over troubled water at times in our lives, couldn't we? An absolute classic from Simon and Garfunkel, my artists of the week this week and more about the boys in Words and Music tomorrow roundabout, this time on the show. Up next on late launch, Burke's banter. Yes, Sinead Burke. She sends us her thoughts from time to time on the show and we love to hear them because she's simply brilliant. She's always on the money. And I think for all parents out there today with young children, you won't want to miss Burke's banter. It's coming next.
0: Himself summed it up very well the other day. It was a typical weekend morning in the Burke household as we rushed around looking for shin guards and football boots, preparing to spend a couple of hours alongside a freezing sideline. Mr Burke glanced at an advertisement for Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals and announced in the weary tone of a man who hasn't had a proper rest in 13 years, I can't wait until feck all Saturday. And the man had a point. Say what you like about the challenges of lockdown but frantically searching for two euro to pay for the referee wasn't one of them. When did the weekend merge into part of the working week? I'm sure there was a time when you clocked off Friday evening and two whole days stretched out before you, reading the papers, mooching around the shops, possibly having a drink or two. Was there a big meeting held a few years ago? that decided because you now live in a separate house to your parents and have children of your own, you will never again have a proper weekend. Did I miss a referendum? Perhaps Europe was involved. Saturday and Sunday are now spent doing grown-up boring things. Young children mean lions are the first thing to go. If you finally put some shape on the garden you may pencil in a few hours mowing the lawn and cleaning out gutters. As you work during the week there's also grocery shopping. No more idling over which top to buy in River Island to wear out that night. You're going nowhere so leisurely browsing is now confined to the centre aisle in Aldi. Here you may end up buying a power hose thus committing yourself to even more flipping house maintenance. As your kids get older They join sports teams, or dance groups, or both. I mean, honestly, I should just ask for a taxi sign in my letter to Santa and be done with it. One of my friends has to be at two different sports halls at the same time every Saturday. I don't know how she does this, but my suspicion is she has solved the gymnastics versus Irish dancing conundrum by using a time turner, the time travel device used by Harry Potter. In the unlikely event, she doesn't have one. Can I suggest parents everywhere get together to sponsor a new category in the Young Scientist competition? This new section will award the teenage superbrain who can invent one of these devices. We're the ones ferrying these geniuses to chess clubs and coding camp. It's time they gave something back. What a lovely surprise it would be to stumble over a competitively priced time-turner beside the toolboxes in Little. This time of year, there is a seasonal spike in the weekend workload. In the Burke house, sometime in November, a conversation is had. Details vary from year to year, but the general thrust goes like this. Mr Burke, this house is getting very tired. I'd like to get a few things done. me, Because I never learn, reply, you're right, it's a kip. Let's change everything before Christmas. The house that the day before was quite nice and comfortable has now been officially declared derelict and the work begins. This happens every year. It never dawns on us to have this conversation in July. No, we prefer to have it five weeks before the busiest and most expensive time of the year secretly we must enjoy the challenge of a deadline and we're not alone a quick straw poll of the football sidelines confirms through chattering teeth that most households were engaged in wallpapering painting and worrying if the new three-piece suite would arrive in time we can only hope there wasn't too many l-shaped sofas on that ship stuck in the panama canal my thoughts and prayers are with these families at this anxious time Weekends, in the purest and loveliest sense of the word, are for children and adults who have no children. When you're retired, every day is a weekend. For those of us in the middle of these life stages, let's not kid ourselves, life is relentless. The only difference is, some days you get paid for the work you do. The other two days you are grafting hard in work you have no natural ability for and actually costs you money. The reward is fleeting, but sustaining, collapsing on the new couch mid-December and thinking, good Lord, we actually got it all done. We've no energy and no money, but in fairness, the place is looking reasonably well. Until next November, that is, when the domestic DIY dance begins again. Feck all Saturday? I've looked it up on my pension statement. It's 26 years away.
2: (laughs) Isn't she just, isn't she spot on, Louise?
5: I am Sinead Burke. <laughs> I knew it. I have uh, rechristened the weekend Saturday Doesn't Matter Day and Sunday is No Fun Day.
2: <laughs> God help you. For the parents. <laughs> I'm like, till out the violin. in here. I, I laughed when I heard the taxi plate.
5: Karma.
2: The taxi plate on the car. Yes, yes, you could do with it. You surely Although could. I don't
5: think taxis would like to be associated with my driving.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's so observant, isn't she? Like Brilliant. She sums it up brilliantly there. And as I say again, it is a time you go through when you have the children and are going here, there and everywhere. It is part and parcel and you do feel like one week rolls into another. That's for sure. And when you get a night out, it must feel like heaven.
1: Yeah? Yeah.
5: Yeah, absolutely. But then you're always conscious about the next morning. You have to be home yeah, at a certain time. I so know, you have to get up I and
2: know bring them all to yes, different places. Yes, they have to go here, there and everywhere. Anyway, we thank Sinead Burke for her banter. Always on the money as usual. And we'll bring you more from Sinead and on. Anyway, that's a lot on Late Lunch for this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up on tomorrow's show... Yes November is central stage men's health is very important always but we're bringing attention to it on the show tomorrow afternoon beginning with the one and only Mr. Keith Barry who joins me on publication of his new book called Brain Hacks. Keith with us tomorrow on the show. Uh, Nowhere with us, they're a young meath band who worked through lockdown, though they never got together they produced a lovely new album and they talk about what they've done and how they've coped. Anthony Cunningham is here, he's written a book about one year a very famous year in Louth, yes 1957, he's joining me on the show tomorrow and the longest running competition on LMFM radio. It's been going on for over a year. Did you know that? Yes, the Cross Guns wedding giveaway concludes on the show tomorrow. Three finalists, three couples, one will win a wedding worth €6,000. Find out about that tomorrow on the show. And I'll have more, of course, from Simon and Garfunkel, my artists of the week. I never saw a man is eager to get into the hot seat and raring to go. No disrespect to the others or anybody else. As Brian Farley, yes, Brian Farley's on the drive this afternoon, and he'll be with you shortly. Some wonderful music and more besides. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. But until tomorrow, Thursday at one thirty for your late lunch, we'll be back then. Please God, see you. Have a nice evening.
1: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drodot and Dog in Cabin. Order your new Dacia Duster or the all-new Dacia Sendero and Stepway. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. A lot can happen in the next three years.
5: Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.